Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Files Obscura. Now, just a little bit of warning. Today, we're going to be talking about some very dark and suicidal topics. Today, we're going to be covering a story about an infamous Hungarian suicide song called Gloomy Sunday. But as always, let's introduce our guest. I am joined today by my partner, Vlad, and we're joined by a new guest today, Cece. Say hello to everyone, Cece. Hi there. How are we doing today? I'm good. That's I'm good. good, thankfully. That's good to hear. So, uh, you know, in you know, recording-wise so far, we've been able to get everything, you know, out every week. Uh, but in our real life, we haven't actually talked or, like, interacted for, like, a week and a half. Yeah. We, we've kind of, I've been going through some things. Uh, you know, it actually started whenever I, I was trying to get a head start on research of this particular topic. But there are certain elements in my life that came up, you know, in, in my life. You know, there's, you know, in, instances with my car. There's stuff with, uh, you know, trying to get a new job. It's just not been good overall. But, you know, we needed to get this one done. So I'm glad, you know, we got the research done uh, because it was good to know that you were still working on yours. Yeah, yeah I'm still researching some stuff. Yeah, because we were talking about last week um, about how it was, uh, we were afraid of burnout and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. And that was kind of what was going on with me for a second. I didn't realize that I just needed to take a break from this for a sec. But, you know, I'm back into the swing of things. You know, we're all fine. So we're joined, you know, like I said, by Cece today. Um, for those of you who don't know, she was actually the person I first talked to whenever we did the uh, VR episode. Um, whenever I first went in, you know, to the headset and everything, she was one of the first people I met in VR chat and, you know, was able to get an insight from somebody who was in it a lot longer. Um, so Cece, you've listened to a bit of the show. You know, what do you, what do you think so far? I mean, I, I, I enjoy your show personally. Um, I said, I've only listened to two episodes though, so I'm not, <laughs> like hugely knowledgeable in that aspect you guys are doing good and i do hope to be on here a little bit more because i do enjoy what you do absolutely Thank i appreciate so it yeah that's, you know it's good to hear you know you know i want this to be a community thing you know and i, I want to have reliable friends come on you know because this is honestly you know if for nothing else this is just a, a fun pastime for me something I've, I've always done you know research weird obscure things and then i just talk about it with my friends so I figured, you know, why not make it into a podcast? I figured that'd be more fun and productive anyways. So. Oof. I mean, it's always fun to, to look into weird stuff anyway. I do that in my spare time. So, you oh. know. And especially because, you know, with the internet existing for as long as it has, there's all kinds of creepy tales and rabbit holes you can fall down on there. That's just, oh, I can't tell you how many nights I've wasted looking up stories. There's so much content. You know, well, like. One of the earliest, you know, kind of rabbit hole mysteries on the, on the internet, you know, was the Markovian parallax denigrate virus or whatever it was. I think it was a worm. Um, but that I've was never a, heard of that. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, very early. Uh, and I'm not going to talk about it too much because it might be worth a, a subject in the future. Um, but very early on in the 90s, uh, there when, you know, texting or, or, or emailing to another person was very rudimentary, very early stages of the internet before even like, you know, massive email websites and everything were set up like Google and everything. Uh, people would be spammed by these messages that just were complete nonsense and just gibberish. And um, one running theme was the line Markovian parallax denigrate. 
which is how the story kind of spurred. And it would link to other people in your account and would send them the worm as well. Oh, that's and, yeah, and just would spam people with nonsense. Yeah. So it's a chain mail virus. Yeah, I, I, it, like there, there's more to it. I don't remember all the all the information off the top of my head, um, but I think uh, eventually it kind of boiled down that the general consensus was that either it was an extremely sophisticated robot or a bot that was sending out this uh, sending out this virus, or it was a group of you know just pranksters online, you know, but the group would imaginably be really big. Yeah. So, but yeah, it, it was an early internet mystery that was going on. There's also the Agrippo, uh, uh, I forget what it's called, but the Agrippo was a book that um, was also written in certain ink. And whenever the sunlight would hit it, it would fade away. So you could only read the book once. It's like straight out of Indiana Jones. Okay. Yeah, well, there was a, a computer version of it where the code after you opened up the file would get to read the poem once and then it would delete itself. Huh. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So it's called yeah, it's called Agrippa. So it's definitely definitely an interesting little thing to look up. But there there's all kinds of uh, of weird stuff, old stuff, new stuff that you can find on the internet to just get so absorbed in. Another one that's worth looking into is like mortis.com. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah. One. Yeah. So so some interesting I stuff. Haven't. I'm I'm quite clueless in this sort of stuff admittedly. Wow, really? I'm surprised. Well, my thing is ARG, so I'll look into, like, um, my name's Daisy Daisy, or um, yes. post content. Yes, I love post content. I personally follow that. But Oh, I did find out for it. <laughs> <laughs> but I also, you know, Echo Rose is another one that I follow. But, you know, that that's all. Oh, yeah, Echo Rose. I have on Instagram, actually. Follow on Instagram. Yeah. But, you know, that that's all discussion for, for another day. It's time that we get onto the subject at hand. Today we're talking about Gloomy Sunday, and like I said, this is going to be talking about depression and suicide. So, you know, as kind of a precursor before we get started, I just want to let everyone know, if you're dealing with anything in your life right now, any thoughts or just complications, and you're going through a crisis, know that there's help. You can go ahead and call the the National Suicide Hotline at 1-800-273-8255, or you can text TALK to 741-741, please. Just make sure you get help. There's always somebody out there looking for you. But now that I got that out of the way, it's time for my favorite part, two truths and a lie. That's Are you favorite. ready, Cece? I'm ready. <laughs> All right. I love so this. as always, we got three statements. One of these are going to be a lie. The other two are true. And it's your job to find out what is what. So first statement. The pianist that is made famous for his creation of Gloomy Sunday, Reza Serez, would actually be able to gain much popularity despite his original first hits, Infamy, you know, which is going to be the story we discussed today. So he wound up being extremely popular despite his first major hits, you know, being around death and suicide. Okay. Right. So the second story or the story, what am I saying? <laughs> Statement. The second statement, yeah. thank you, is that tales of the victim and the legend that it, that it grew around the song are often linked with details related to the song, whether, you know, it was tales of people holding onto sheet music or their suicide note referencing lyrics or the title of the song. Or as I've read in a couple stories, you know, of, of uh, people either swallowing uh, cyanide or some other poison 
or, or they would shoot themselves and they would leave a record like a gramophone playing of a record of the song on repeat you know so that whenever their body was found it was just gloomy sunday played over their dead body yeah well that's delightful yeah right uh god one of the stories we're gonna get into uh, yeah Oof. it's kind of my favorite <laughs> I like that but it's kind of my favorite how it happens and then the third statement, Billie Holiday, the one whenever you look up Gloomy Sunday is probably going to be the singer you hear, you know, the most of this. Uh, her version of Gloomy Sunday would actually be banned until 2002 by the BBC. Wow. Yeah. Her version actually banned until 2002. And the reason being, uh, they said that it, it diminished wartime morale because her song came out in 1941 which is, you know, start or the height of, you know, World War II. Mm. So you don't want soldiers killing themselves or nothing like that. So I get it. Yeah, that would be a bit inconvenient. Yeah, but until 2002, you know? Yeah. Seems a bit, like, a bit long, yeah. Just just a bit. Well, <laughs> these statements, I, I kind of... I really don't know anything about this. I, that, that was that's the point. Yeah, yeah. So you're I, not supposed to. You're supposed so, to guess. I'm kind of gonna. Uh, I'm gonna go with the second one being why. The second one that you yeah, know. Yeah, I was thinking second one too. You think so? That tales of the victims. You know, the songs are related through details like the suicide notes and all that. You don't think that's true? Yeah, I don't think that's uh, true. I'm gonna lock you guys into that. So, all right. So statement oh, number God. two. They think it's the lie. Audience, of course, you make up your own mind. We're going to get into some details. So, of course, I feel it's important to go over some statistics about suicide and depression. Okay. You know, because a lot of people, you know, it's a, it's a taboo subject for a lot of people. But then you have a lot a lot of Americans and the and people worldwide who suffer varying degrees of depression and suicidal thought. It's an important discussion. For me personally, I think it's an important discussion uh, for men's mental health because when I looked at some of these statistics, like I knew it was bad for especially, you know, just American white men. I didn't realize it was this bad. You know, in 2018, you know, there would be 48,344 Americans who would die by suicide with 1.4 million suicide attempts. Men were three. Yeah. Men were three and a half times more likely to commit suicide with white males accounting for 69.67% of the suicide deaths. So when you compare white males compared to all the males, there is like less than 10% of a fraction, like of a, a fractions or percent that were anything but white male. Hmm. You know, yeah. So when that's 70, distressing. Yeah, when 70% of your population that's dying is one demographic, you know, there, there's a lot of issues, which is why. You know, I, I think it's important that we open discussion about men's health because, you know, we're always taught, you know, suppress things, you know, but, but that's in general a, a more broad topic for another time. But these suicides are happening so often that there's 132 suicides per day, per day, not week, per not day. month, per day. Wow. And that's just in America. In America alone. In America alone. God, that's... Yeah. If you imagine that, then around the world, that has to be a distressingly big number. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it's ridiculous. And some countries are definitely worse off. You know, Hungary and Japan are historically have had higher suicide rates than than the average. You know, which is something we'll, we'll get into a bit. You know, a bit later. Um, but yeah, with all these facts that I've told you so far, 
Suicide is only the 10th leading cause of death, you know, with smoking, you know, cancers, car accidents, you know, stuff like that being, you know, more common. Domestic violence is also up there. I don't think, though, it's higher than suicide. But, you know, the fact that it's still so, so heavy. And this was 2018 statistics. This was two years ago. So imagine, especially with the coronavirus going on, you know, desperate times. Yeah, that's not too far away from, like, from today. No. I think it's... With the coronavirus as well, it has made situations a lot worse for a lot of people. Very much so. I mean, in the past week alone, I've had to suddenly have an outburst of several things, including the fact that we may have cancer in the family now, which is obviously the worst time to have it. And um, the fact we've had friends who have been dealing with home lives that have been pushed to the brink of arguments and fights. Because, again, you're locked inside all day. And it doesn't help that obviously no longer be able to go outside and be able to distract yourself from with work has got a huge hit on mental health. Yeah, you got like like I've like I've said to a lot of people, you gotta learn to be comfortable with yourself at some point in your life. And now I think it's really the testing point for a lot of people and they are realizing they are not comfortable being alone. And and that is it's honestly a problem, you know, because I, I personally think there needs to be a balance between your social life and your, you know, your personal time. You know, I don't think a lot of people give enough time to themselves to really just be okay with things like they are like right now. Yeah, I think that's my big, that's my theory on what's going on right now. So, I mean, yeah, that's that's definitely a huge part of it, I think. Yeah. But of course, you know, with with the talk of suicide and everything, you know, depression goes hand in hand. You know, everyone gets sad, but depression fundamentally isn't just being sad. Being sad is a temporary thing. And I, I think, you know, understanding, you know, that a depression is a unique, you know, problem, let alone just how it makes you feel, because it does affect you physically. And it also affects a lot more people than, than you know, one might think, because everyone's experience is varying degrees. I, for a long time, suffered, you know, depression. And to an extent, I still do. Um, I used to be put on Zoloft. I was on Zoloft ever since I was like eight or nine and I was on it for about, about nine years before I finally stopped taking it, you know, and there's talks about me going back to, you know, a shrink and, and getting back on pills, you know, because it is hard right now. I think there's generally, generally you know, just a, a big misunderstanding of what it is. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, that's why I went, you know, and I decided to go on to, you know, the National Institute for Mental Health. And I looked up, you know, some facts about depression, you know, depression as defined, you know, is a common but serious mood disorder, which causes severe symptoms that uh, that affect how you feel, think and handle daily activities such as eating or working. You know, with many symptoms, you know, being feelings of hopelessness or pessimism, which I personally suffer from the most, you know, irritability is is another feelings of guilt or worthlessness or helplessness, loss of interest or pleasure in hobbies and activities, decreased energy or fatigue, moving or talking more slowly, feeling restless or having trouble sitting still, difficulty concentrating, remembering or making decisions and difficulty sleeping early morning uh, early morning awakening or oversleeping, you know, there's also, you know, ap- appetite or weight changes, you know, there's thoughts of death and suicide that everyone is familiar with when they talk about depression, you know, but there's even aches and pains, headaches, cramps, you know, and stuff like that, that's associated with your physical 
health that is that doesn't have you know physical symptoms that you can point to or a physical problem to point to you know th- these are things that are important to understand because not only does it show that depression is more than just feeling sad yeah. you know these are th- symptoms that everyone you know can feel everyone does feel but not everyone recognizes and i think that's the biggest distinction that needs to be made is that that's not something that people recognize is a problem you know yeah a lot of people say tough it out, but they're not experiencing the same symptoms half the time. Exactly. Mm. Personally, I, I don't suffer with depression. I'm lucky in that aspect. But I've suffered with depressive bouts. I think the biggest one I had was, this is really dark enough as it is, so I might as well say this. Um, I dealt with being sexually assaulted at 15 by a friend. Okay. And that threw me into a nine-month depressive slump. And it was very much a case of, I, I'm very, I mean, you've met me. I'm bubbly as a person. I'm quite loud. You have a very, you know, outgoing and open personality. You know, mm. Perfectly a little but... jealous. <laughs> it, it comes with its curses, not going to lie. But no, um, I believe I, I'm, I role play. I'm not going to lie. I like putting myself into a different character. Nothing wrong and with that. that. Yeah, it's fun. I, mean, I love it to bits. And I've, I've had a friend who I talked to. And um, after it happened to me, I was 15 years old at the time. I didn't know how to deal with this. I told a friend and their response was, eh, that's like him. Just for, just ignore it, basically. So obviously there's a doubt of, well, I'm overreacting. So that obviously played towards bad mental health. Yeah. And for me, it showed in my writing. So I was killing off characters. I was putting them in bad situations because I felt bad. So I, I didn't so much have... Um, any signs that people could tell outside of that, basically. I mean, yes. And, and, you know, in the grand scheme of things, that is, you know, a way to like, I can understand that as a way to like start coping with things is that, you know, you're letting your, yourself work it out in a way that's easy for you to, to understand, you know, mm. but no one has that, you know, not, not everyone knows how to do that, you know, which is, is which is an unfortunate problem, you know, for, for me personally, you know, my parents divorced whenever I was seven we moved to Texas from California where I had almost nobody around me to now we live in a city, you know, then dad remarried, you know, moving every year, you know, up until I was then forced to stay in a same school, you know, district and then dealing with, you know, normal team stuff. But, you know, on top of issues I already haven't been dealing with because I didn't know how to deal with any of it, everything just became so much exponentially worse and all that pressure. I just shut down. There was like three years. It was the skinniest I've ever been because I just refused to eat. I refused to leave my room. I refused to interact with the world. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to be open. I've had more than more than enough, you know, attempted suicides. And thank, thank God it never went through, you know, but I have definitely been there. You know, it, it's not easy. It's not fun. I don't want people's pity, though, either, you know. Uh, that's, it's I think re- as well with depression and self-harm, that's like one of the biggest things that people always think is the sign, but it's not. It's not. And I'm going to be honest, I never cut myself. I, I don't, you know, I've definitely burned myself. I've definitely electrocuted myself a couple of times, but I've never cut myself. I didn't want to, you know, have that just waving around in everyone's face, you know, because mm. I've always I mean- been... I may not always be able to cover my arms. I may not always be, you know, be aware who's looking, who's curious. So I didn't want to give that sign off. You know, I said. Yeah, visibility is a huge thing. My, my thing was to punch my leg. That was my thing. 
because that yeah. wasn't visible. That wouldn't bruise. That wouldn't come up because it's right by my trousers. No one's going to see it. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I understand that. But, you know. I think we also have to like not let the stuff get to the point where like, oh, you know, I'm not going to do anything about it until there's a sign until I can see something because like it's it's well, like, said, like it's not something physical. It's not it's not always. Something well, physical. with people, too, there's the unfortunate, you know, bystander effect where nobody wants to jump in unless everyone's doing it. Nobody wants to be the person that stands out, which is why it's hard to get help from, you know, your peers a lot of the time because nobody wants to be that independent person. I personally don't care. I, I have worked through too much, you know character development of you know personally and too much you know drama in my life to, to sit by and let that happen anymore but not everyone's like that not everyone has that you know not everyone sees it my way and i don't expect them to but you know it, it, it's definitely hard to see it because you know you know me personally i still do my best to be you know always positive always more outspoken and open with people i try to be optimistic i try to be open-minded you know, but that doesn't mean that that's a hundred percent, you know, I've definitely gone through my own waves of emotions the past week, especially researching this because, you know, like I said, depression is something that hits me hard and going full force into researching this topic. I kind of had to deal with certain things in the past that like, for the most part I've dealt with, but it still hurts, you know, and, and it was a big reason it was hard to pull me through the story, you know, why I pushed it off for so long. But, you know, it's the past. There's nothing I can do about it. So, you know, I just, I, I move on, you know. And yeah, I, I get that. I personally, I'm back with my parents because of coronavirus. Yeah. And being back home, I've had to deal with a resurgence of dysmorphia, which is not so much led on uh, depression, but depressive bouts, which is also see a huge fight on my end. Yeah. Because I don't know, how much do you know about dysmorphia? Uh, a little bit, but that, that was never really something I put a lot of attention to, to reading in. Mm. Essentially, with dysmorphia, it's no matter what you do, you're still going to see yourself a certain way. So in my eyes, I am extremely overweight. See, I recognize I, I, I'm not, but it looks like that to me. Like, like the, your, your logical side and, and your emotional side are in conflict with what you see. And, and I understand that perfectly because I, I went through a bout of that as well. You know, whenever I went through that three years of my super emo depressive stage, um, which is a big reason I didn't eat uh, because I was so big for my age too growing up that uh, I felt like if I put on any weight, it just would make me stand out even more, which is a big reason I kind of held off on that because I was already dealing with, you know, issues at school at the time. But, you know, it, it's whatever. They were just fucking annoying. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's why you see me online a lot. I'm on Discord a lot, or I'm gaming, or I'm drawing, I'm distracting myself. Yep. Um, because it is, again, fighting mental health-wise, is being cooped inside and not being able to see my friends. There's not as much distraction. So over the past couple of weeks, I've been on and off fighting with having to do with the fact that suddenly dysmorphia is back tenfold, and I am not feeling great. So obviously, I'm not the only one there. Probably a lot of people are following in the similar struggle. Oh, of course, you know, and, and that's why I, I feel like it's important that we, we open a dialogue and talk about this kind of stuff, you know, not let it be taboo. You know, I, I've seen enough TED Talks about, you know, depression and mental health and, and stuff like that. Like one of my favorites that I recently watched uh, was titled, you know, being casually suicidal, you know, and just being open to the fact that this is things that affect everybody, you know, and learning to confront it, learning to talk about it makes it easier for people to go to, to work through it. 
because not everybody does have to deal with it, Mm -hmm. but it's important that we understand it still because there are people in our lives that do deal with it. Are you looking to intrusive thoughts as well? That's a huge thing. I'm pretty sure everyone has at one point in their life, but that's not really talked about a lot. Okay. Yeah, it's definitely worth looking into. But we should get back on track. You know, as much as I like this open dialogue, we do still have a story to get through. Um, so another real quick and interesting thing that uh, I felt was worth, you know, jotting down was um, the, the unique things I found between the major and minor keys and how they're often associated, you know, with, with music. You know, we've often grew up, you know, hearing bits and pieces of stories about how music affects our mood and everything that music you know, seems to have this weird ethereal connection to us, you know, and how it makes us feel and, and process things. Um, so I looked into that to see if there was any research, if there's anything that really could define, you know, why this happens. Um, and I learned something that, you know, often though, you know, that the D minor, you know, scale is what's often considered the saddest of all scales. The idea of emotional influence from, you know, certain keys when they're played is actually more or less just a cultural bias, you know. So we grow up hearing songs of a certain nature that evoke a certain feeling, you know, when we're in the womb and all that. By the time we're out, that's what we're already conditioned to, to, to feel, to know. Mm-hmm. So it's important to understand, you know, when, it, when we look into this song, because it is written in the C minor scale, which is still really close. But it, it is an influence that needs to be understood when people are affected by the song. That's why, you know, like it's not the, the smoking gun, but it, it's, it's a piece of the puzzle. So I, f- I figured it was worth knowing, but, you know, it's not really, you know, the, the, the leading cause behind all this. So, you know, to get into the history of the song a bit, you know, Bluey Sunday was composed by, you know, the Hungarian pianist Reza Serez with lyrics by poet Laszlo uh, Yavor uh, in 1933. But to be honest, a lot of these names are in Hungarian, and I don't speak Hungarian, so if I mess up names, I apologize. But, you know, when looking through, there, there was a lot of debate about the exact origins of the song, um, with some claims being that, you know, Javor uh, suffered a heartbreak with his girlfriend, uh, left him, inspiring him to write the poem, but most believe that it was Serez who suffered from his own breakup from his fiance, you know, throwing him into his, you know, melancholy uh, depression. You know, he would then go on to write his own lyrics about war and apocalypse, you know, as he was afraid of, you know, rising nationalism and, you know, have for, you know, dealing with, with a lot of tragedies around him with the stock market crash. You know, I can understand it. Um, but as the story goes, it was Javor who changed the lyrics to the, you know, the heartbreak ballad that we know today. Uh, the song would actually struggle to get published uh, for a good while, um, with one publisher even saying that it is not that the song is sad. There is a sort of terrible, compelling disparity about it. I don't think it would do anyone any good to hear a song like that. So already we're getting signs that maybe that maybe this isn't the song to publish. Yeah. But of course, you know, Serez uh, uh, wanted, you know, to be an accomplished you know, musician. He wanted to be an accomplished lyricist. So, of course, he perseveres. You know, eventually they managed to get a live recording done by a man named Hal Kalmar, who was the first to publish um, uh, the, this live recording. 
the supposed suicides, you know, as many as 19 uh, were reported, uh, started happening shortly after this, you know, recording was released to the public. You know, and th that happened in 1935. In 1936, Hal Kemp would be the first to record the song in English. But like I said, however, it would be Billie Holiday's 1941 version that would be the most popular version to date. Mm -hmm. um, it was purported that radio broadcasts uh, started banning the song as soon as rumors started to spread, you know, about people um, killing themselves in various manners and linking themselves back to the song. However, a little more research uh, suggested that this was done on a voluntary basis, you know, so it was up to the, the broadcaster's discretion to ban the song or not, which they more or less did, actually. Okay. You know, it was not it was not a national ban that was enforced by the government like so, like it was suggested. Um, so, you know, as, as we go on a little bit more, uh, you know, suicides were beginning to, to spread like wildfire. The story goes um, with many of these being linked, you know, into the song and similarities like clutching onto the song sheet music or writing or saying gloomy Sunday right before their suicide. Okay, so we got it wrong. Yes, both of you got it wrong. All right. Yes, that's the whole, you know, the mythos behind it is that so many people would die, you know, being linked to the song, you know, with, you know, many stories about the gramophone being playing of the song on repeat. Or that people would go into these cafes and sing in public and, uh, to the song. And as soon as the song was over, they'd either shoot themselves or do something. You know, and that's how these stories... That, that's horrifying to think about. It really is, yeah. And, you know, we're, I'm about to get into some of these stories, you know, some of the ones I was able to find. Um, in 1936, a young man named Philip Cook, who was a senior at a college in New York, was found fatally wounded, a gunshot to his head. He was pronounced dead at the hospital. You know, obviously a suicide, but some of his friends began to, you know, comment about a certain obsession that he had with Gloomy Sunday right before his death. You know, uh, one report claims that Cerez, you know, tried to reconnect with his ex-fiance, as the story goes, you know, but she would be found dead with a suicide note with only two words on it. Gloomy Sunday, you know. There was a man that goes by the name of Gene Boris, who in 1936, you know, he was a young carpenter who would wander into a cafe called the Green Frog. Single and alone, he wasted his time away with his head in his hands. The musicians would, uh, would play Gloomy Sunday and Gene would begin to sing along. He would, you know, sway to the song and become more involved as, as you know, the song would progress. As he sang, he reached into his coat pocket and by the end of the song, he would pull out a gun and shoot his heart. The manager got two waiters to take his body outside while yelling at the musicians, fools, don't play that. Don't ever play that accursed thing again. The hospital would find a note explaining his lover left him and that he wanted to die to the song as it perfectly described his life. There's a story of a young 15-year-old girl named Elizabeth Guyulaya who would develop a puppy love uh, crush on a boy who went to her school of some, and he was a similar age, but eventually this boy... He would move away and she fell into a very deep, mournful depression. One, you know, her mom, you know, thought that, you know, she'd grow out of it. She's 15, you know, but she would eventually uh, climb out of her room one night and sneak away into the streets where the police would eventually stop her. She claimed to be going to the drugstore for her sick mother. So, that, so they let her go. She would then find a bridge to jump off and her body would be found by fishermen. Her mother would find a note stating, if you have, 
if you will have someone sing Oh Gloomy Sunday to you, you will understand. There's a, uh, another story about a singer named Mayo Olga Kerkez, a singer and dancer at a Budapest theater. One day she sang Gloomy Sunday to a quiet audience. As she sang the last verse, her eyes would fill up with tears. She threw her arms emphatically in a despairing gesture before going into her dressing room. As time would go on, she would not leave her dressing room and the people began to worry. The manager would eventually break down the door after no responses to find her dead by poison. You know, many of these stories, you know, are hard to prove, but with tales like, you know, shopkeep, a shopkeep in Budapest killing himself with a note quoting the song, a London woman overdosing while playing a record of the song to a Vienna girl drowning, clutching onto the sheet music. You know, you can begin to understand how this story evolved. You know, you can understand, you know, the, the fear behind it, you know. Yeah. It, it, it really grips you, you know, because some there, there's more stories. You know, I've heard stories about, you know, a 12 year old who hung himself in his front yard after hearing the song. I heard of a story about a man who drove himself into a river after hearing the song being played over the radio after a breakup, you know, in, in America, you know, in like the 37 or something like that. What's really bizarre about this is the fact that this is the time before the internet, you know? Yeah. Keep in mind, like, the consistency, the, like, the fact that, like, if it's a coincidence, it's a very strange coincidence. Well, part of what spread the rumor, too, is how the song spread um, whenever it was translated into English. And we'll go into a little bit of that in a minute. Um, it does but, make you wonder, though, what are just tales and what is the truth? Well, yeah, and it's kind of hard, you know, especially looking through history, you know, deciphering, you know, what actually happened versus, you know, what we can you know, what, what people say, you know, maybe there's elements that are only true and we only know because of the story, but there's no physical evidence or whatever. It makes me wonder how you much know. of it is Some of it does sound unbelievable. So he's got the thing of suspension of disbelief to think, is this real? Is this not? And admittedly, I am curious to hear the song. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would play it for you right now, but unfortunately it is still under copyright. So we cannot play it. But go on YouTube later. Yeah, definitely check it out. You know, like I said, the Billy English version, uh, the Billy English, Billy Holiday version is the, you know, most common one you're going to find online today. And it, it is a really beautiful song, but oh God, it is so depressing. Are there any recordings of the original? Yes, there are recordings of the original you can find online, okay. but it's in Hungarian. So unless you speak Hungarian, you're not, you know, yeah. you're not really going to understand it. So, but yeah, I mean, and keep in mind, all this took took hold within a span of like three years because it was originally published in 1933. By 1936, does whenever you are already hearing stories of people across Europe banning the song, you know. And then it, when Billie Holiday's version would come out, that would you know spur even more people into a you know mournful situation. Um, that's why eventually, you know, we're going to talk about, you know, the BBC and how they responded to this as well, because that's pretty important to understand. Um, but, you know, as time goes on, you know, Javier, uh, he would die of a heart attack in 1966. But it's important to understand that in 1968, Serez uh, would attempt to take his own life by throwing himself out of his apartment window. He claimed he suffered immense melancholy due to never having produced another hit. He would eventually succeed in his suicide by choking himself with a wire. Very Italian way to handle that. 
you know. Well, that's uh, one way to go. I mean, that must be a very painful way to do things, though. I mean, yeah. Uh, some story said it was, uh, you know, like a normal string or twine that he hung himself on. Some say it was like a piano wire that he garroted himself, like literally cut into his neck. Yeah, really gruesome stories. You know, I checked that's, Snopes. That's unpleasant. Yeah. Very I unpleasant. And, and I, I even went on to Snopes and everything, was checking on, on the tales behind this. And, you know, they said a lot of the stories are kind of unsubstantiated. But, you know, especially with Serez, that is 100% true. You know, yeah, it is. It is depressing. But with how far away uh, it happened from the initial incident, the song being released, nobody cared. Nobody no, nobody heard about it even though it was arguably the most important death related to the case you know what happened with this song you know and you know while the suicides are being reported in europe you know with talks about you know national bands of the song that like i kept saying this is the important thing about the u.s the u.s would actually capitalize on the, on the infamous hungarian suicide song and they would play it everywhere it's because people were, were saying, you know, they were all dying, that they would blast it all over America. That's how it got popular and started a, this other wave uh, of claims of suicide. You know, eventually claims of suicide would be reported as high as 200 cases, you know, by American newspapers talking about the song after it reached, you know, America. You know, it's, uh, but like I said, a lot of this, you know, is linked to the idea of these stories being sensationalized and uh, just highly embellished. So, Taken with a grain of salt, but it, it you know it, it's still it, it's still really interesting to see just you know how prevalent it became. I think it's really funny that like this song became infamous for being connected to suicides, and then in America, someone's like, "Oh wow, this song's really popular. Let's play it everywhere." Like, well, America has always had an interesting take on you know sensitivity and also death in general. You know. Yeah. It's kind of it's kind of hard to talk about America without talking about you know it's over militarized solutions for everything, all the testings that we've done you know just the blatant disregard for human life we see all the time yeah you know police shooting obviously as a British person we have our stereotypes about you guys oh of course <laughs> you know I I don't hate America but I'm gonna be honest it could be a lot lot better so you know. But you know, we like we still deal with you know with, with a lot of a lot of issues today. So it doesn't surprise me, you know, that we would do something like this. Because I mean, you can go back and look at racist cartoons now, yeah. and, you know, which now would definitely not pass you know any F FCC standards. But back in the day, you know, yeah, times are different. They don't care. It, it was if you could make a joke out of it or whatever, they would. You know, and, and as, as an animation buff as well. I have to personally look into history of animation, and a lot of the cartoons you get back then were extremely horrifyingly racist. Oh, yeah. I mean, you've got the um, crows from, I can't remember the movie, but they were based off black people, and that was horribly, horribly racist. The crows and Dumbo, yeah. Yeah, <sighs> yeah oh, there you go. They're also, you know, extremely racially profiled. Like, if you look at Aristocats, yeah, you look at the, no, Siamese cats. the Siamese cats. Oh, God, yes, Aristocats. I can't, like... Uh, it, it really upsets me. Anytime I see a clip of an old cartoon and it's got like an awful Chinese stereotype, I just... You know, with the buck teeth and everything. <sighs> and the glasses. Oh, God, it, yeah. yeah I've seen it. How they used to draw black people as well. They'd give them those horribly oversized lips and noses and horribly curved spines. Yeah, it's like, like yes, you have like a percentage of people that look like that. That's not the majority. 
it's ridiculous and you know you can run into that problem especially with like anime which i'm extremely into sometimes they're not as sensitive about that and they just draw the most ridiculous caricatures of people's nationality sometimes yeah so but you know japan is its own thing i'll say occasionally they do get it right and they have a black person and it's not an offensive stereotype i've I've seen it before but uh yeah no it's um you're talking about oh yeah america's awful (laughs) (laughs) so Uh. but but yeah uh, you know there's just a lot of you know things that that didn't surprise me whenever i was looking at this uh because i've also did dip a little bit into like older cartoons and everything like from the 30s and 40s and everything and some of the animations you know with this with the you know skeletons and cartoonish ways that they would draw death on, on screen you know it kind of was like openly accepted in pop culture at the time you know to talk about death you know it was something to you could laugh at you know normalize pretty quickly you know they were pretty blunt about it whereas we're pretty sensitive about it now you know, we want to protect everyone, which I think is, you know, horrible, but also don't think we should go the other way and just completely expose everything. I think there needs mm. to be, some, you know, great. On the topic of death in cartoons as well, we uh, had to, uh, I did animation as a separate course to games animation. Yeah. And we, there was a Felix the Cat cartoon and it was, oh, yeah, I mean, it's not that much difference, basically, but there was a Felix the Cat cartoon that we had to look at. And at the very end, Felix killed himself by drinking oils. That was just something that was accepted as a thing that they would just do for cartoons. Yeah, and like uh, Tom and Jerry committed suicide by sitting on a railroad track at the end of their series. No, no, no. That's Excuse me, what? No, that's uh, that's actually kind of um, it's not completely true. It wasn't at the end of the series, and it did happen in an episode where it kind of just ends with both of them sitting in a, in a. No, at the end of their original series when they canceled it, that was the final episode before they revitalized it. I thought it wasn't the end of the series, mm-hmm. but like the- no, that was the last episode from the original run of, uh, of Tom and Jerry. That's how they ended it. Mm-hmm. Tom and Jerry was my childhood. Jesus Christ. I mean, yeah, but then you also have all these old animations, you know, like uh, of fucking Tom rolling cigarettes and everything. It's like, like, how does that get past censors now? It's like, obviously, it doesn't. It was made in like the forties and fifties. You know, so and obviously not so uh, um, far away from the distant distant past. You had cartoons, obviously like Courage the Cowardly Dog, and I remember growing up with the Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy. They would okay. not get past the censors nowadays at all. Okay, so I actually did look it up, and and no, it was not the last episode. The last episode of Tom and Jerry. Um, that was a completely. It, it's called. Um, what's it called? Yeah, uh, Tot, Tot Watchers, and. I believe that's Blue Cat Blue Cat Blues is the episode you're thinking about. Um, yeah, no, it wasn't the it wasn't the final episode. It was an episode. It did happen, but it just wasn't the final episode. I think that's just an internet like kind of like it, it's one of those things that passes on on the internet, and there's not enough like not not none of people calling it out. I'll look it up later because I think there's more information behind that. So, anyways, you know. But as time would go on, you know, like I said, the song would gain infamy. Everyone would be afraid of the song in time because of all these suicides that are being linked to, you know, to the song. The BBC would actually go ahead and ban the Billie Holiday version, citing its destructive nature towards war morale, and the ban would eventually be lifted in 2002. However, the interesting thing about this ban is that the song did not ban, did not get banned if uh, you took out the lyrics. You could play the song just fine without the lyrics, just the music. 
but if you have the lyrics in it, it wasn't allowed. That's you know, yeah. That's really weird. It, it was interesting. To, yeah, it was like, why would you not ban, you know, the song too? Like, why just believe? I can kind of understand that, though. I can kind of understand that insofar as people were relating to the mu- to lyrics a lot more than perhaps music itself. I mean, fair enough. So, although it's interesting then that you give the pianist, you know, more credit due to the story than the lyricist. Hmm. I, yeah, that's a bit weird. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a little bit backwards then, but... You know, there, there was a lot of, you know, conflicting and confusing, you know, bits of information whenever I read into this. So, you know, it, it, you, you take it with a pinch of salt. You know, you're going to come to your own conclusions when you research the story. You know, I think with like any other sort of legend of the past, it's never going to be 100 percent accurate, no matter what you look at. Of course not. There's, there's always going to be something that you got to take with a grain of salt and just make your best assumptions. You know, but. You know, with everything I've told you so far about the story, now comes the, the, the bit of information that makes this, you know, kind of puts everything in perspective, kind of makes you understand why things happened the way it did. You know, there are many other factors, you know, around this time that, you know, are much more likely an explainable cause behind the legend, you know, such as, you know, the 1929 stock market crash, you know, led to the world's grain economy and grain prices to fall exponentially. This led Hungary's primarily grain-dominant economy to fall apart. Their, employment, their unemployment rate went from 5% in 1928, just before the crash, to 36% in, ni- in 1933, the year the song came out. So that is over seven times more than what you had, you know, five years prior. You know, just being unemployed. Huh. Yeah. You know, but more what- likely definitely did not help. No, it, it did not. Absolutely. You know, and, you know, 18% of them were living in poverty. You know, there was a suicide rate of 32 out of 100,000 people in Hungary in 1933, which is a lot because actually, you know, our current, you know, for the U.S. today, the uh, current suicide rate is 14.92 out of every 100,000, you know, so it still puts still too high, basically, though. It's still really high. And so if we make such a big deal about it now, imagine what it would have been like then, you know. So, you know, and and at the time, just for some uh, context, the U.S.'s uh, suicide rate was 18.9 out of uh, 100,000 people. So they were still almost double, you know, the U.S. at the time. And even today, there, there are rates, I think, as high as I've seen in the past decade, uh, it was like 49 out of every 100,000 people in Hungary. Yeah. So, Where is that? Uh, I, 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 that was just some statistics I looked online. Uh, I couldn't exactly tell you the source because I don't have it written down in front of me. <laughs> but that was, that well, was, at least you sort of remembered the source a little bit. A little bit. Like, I, like I, you got to understand, I crammed like... 12, 13 different websites within like three hours whenever I was cramming the last of these notes. So I don't exactly remember what was where. But, you know, one other interesting thing, which I felt was worth noting, was there's actually a gene that's associated with suicide that's called the phenougrian gene, which is commonly found in Hungarians and people of Hungarian descent that is linked with the, the idea of a predisposition to suicide and depression. Oh, geez. Which is, yeah. So when you think about where this original legend came from, 
you're dealing with, 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 you know, fear of influence of fascist nationalism coming from Germany, your neighboring country, you know, to, you know, already coming in a country that's basically broke as all shit and everyone wants to kill themselves already. When you throw in a sad song like that, talking about you might as well be dead anyways to join, you know, somebody's already passed on. People are going to, you know, relate to that. And, you know, and they're already brewing emotional state. I believe that's when you're, you know, more people are more likely to do this because suicide, you know, the suicide rate didn't see a massive spike when the song came out. It didn't see, you know, a, a, a grad or, or noticeable change, you know, which, which is important to understand with the song. Because, yes, the legend made it infamous. But when you compare it to the statistics, it's just a drop in an ocean, you know. It, it didn't really affect anything. It just was a story that kind of spread out, oh. you know. So it's, I mean, it's already like... I, and I think that's really the thing. You know, the song isn't the reason. I mean, it could be tied to it. Yeah. But I think when you get down to it, it's not the reason people are committing suicide. People aren't committing suicide because they heard a song. It's because there's already that depression that's been brewing inside of them. Yeah. And this was just a catalyst to, to, to set it off in some people. That's that's the leading idea behind it. But, you know. I latched on to the sort of emotion it gave, probably. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with, with the fact that a lot of people associate minor keys with, you know, sadness, which the song was written in with its very dark and dreary lyrics that it was written um, and, the, and just the environment that people were in at the time, because even America was still going through its own Great Depression, you know, when the song came out. Yeah. You know, one in four Americans were unemployed at the time. You really get to understand the context behind the story. You can see how something like this would take off, you know. Especially if you had a modern equivalent now, like on the internet, it would be a creepypasta. Yeah. You know, and I could totally see that working as a great story too. But I, but it comes from, you know, understanding these details that we really, you know, un- it's hard to rationalize and process such, you know, a grand problem. Mm-hmm. But understanding the context, I think, is what really helps, which is another reason why I always talk about, you know, it's important for everyone to take care of their mental health. You know, take time for yourself if you need to. Learn when to kick yourself in the ass to get yourself going on shit that you need to do. Absolutely. You know, and drink think- water, sleep normal, you know, cycles. Take care of yourself. And I think we're ma- if we're making a mistake by trying to find, like, oh, people are committing suicide because it's a song, or people are going out in school shootings because they play Doom, or because they, yeah, you know, like... You're, you're always going to hear stories because people want a simple unfortunately life isn't simple exactly you know and it, it takes the, will- on the topic of like blaming games on depression as well personally that can piss right off <laughs> <laughs> like I, I as, as someone who's a game developer i always get slightly annoyed when you hear people blaming games because it's never just the games no no absolutely not a lot of it is also the the, the mindset beforehand you know what's going on in the child or the individual's mind what's what what's their life like you know, maybe there's something else going on. Yeah, and the um, I feel like stuff like the demon, the what was it, the demonic panic, demonic, oh, satanic panic, satanic panic, the satanic, the panic. satanic panic with D and D and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It's, it's just it's so silly, and it's it's it really is because people don't, and I and I kind of want to like, I I don't want to blame it on anyone in particular, but there was a lot of like church groups that would use that at like oh 
your kids playing Pokemon, Pokemon Satanic. Ah, you know. Well, we already talked a bit uh, last week about, you know, how mass hysteria works too. Yeah. You yeah. know, so with that spread of, you know, publicizing everything in the newspapers and the news, you know, it, it, that stories like that will spread like wildfire and everyone will associate whatever in their life to that, you know, creating and generating that fear. That's what drives it. Absolutely. You know, it's just people being afraid, but not exactly listening, you know, to what's going on. Mm-hmm. So there's also that bit of like misunderstanding or the uh, unwillingness to understand, I think is a huge part of that as well. Yeah. There, there, there's a certain, uh, it, like a graph, if you could draw it where a trend comes where the higher the rate of ignorance, the higher the rate of arrogance goes with that, yes, you know, absolutely. and you, you, you can't fight somebody who will rather die than admit to being wrong. You, you just can't, you know, but that, that's up to them. You know, if they want to be ignorant, that's their choice. You know, I'm willing to question and, and, and see what happens in life now. I'm willing to, to say, you know, what if I'm wrong? Let's learn, you know? Yeah. I want to learn. That, that's my goal. So if I'm wrong, please educate me. You know, I will sit down and listen. It's a shame when people don't share that. It is a shame, you know, because everyone likes to believe that they're right from the get-go. Because it, it, assuming they're right you know, whether they are or not, would just make things easier. Would it not? You know, but at the same Definitely, time, yeah. misinformation spreads. That's how we get fake news. That's how we get, you know, clickbait stories and, and links and articles that are useless. And that's how we get spam and just all kinds of problems. And so annoying. So annoying. Ignorance. I'm sorry. It just willful ignorance irritates me. It gets under my skin. Uh, I, I can't stand it. But yeah, no, with this, um, with this song, I think we're seeing something similar to what we were talking about, where it's just, I mean, I don't think we can entirely blame the artist. I don't think the artist no. wanted people to commit suicide. No, that, that was not his intention, you know, and with art in general, it's all, you know, it's all, what, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, interpretive. Interpretation? Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, with music, it could not necessarily be that he had an objective or plan in mind. He just wanted to write something he felt would be popular and to write something that's from a personal space too really helped. It helps people connect. I just think that this was an unfortunate thing that, you know, is that once in a while story that came out of nowhere, nobody knows why. And it just happened. And it's unfortunate it happened to him. Have there been any new cases related to Gloomy Sunday? Uh, no, but it does have some infamy in pop culture, you know, in several movies and TV shows. Um, like it was used in Schindler's List. I know it was used in an episode on um, Danganronpa. I know it's been used on, uh, in, like, in the soundtrack in Thirteen Reasons Why. Um, so it does. It does still have a place in pop culture, um, but. We aren't, it doesn't have links to suicide nowadays. It doesn't have any links to major depression or weird cases like that, you know. No, all right. Admittedly, I've been thinking about, whether you talked about this, um, Pink Floyd with the Floydian depression, if you've heard about that at all. I have not, but that's definitely worth looking into. That sounds interesting. <laughs> yeah, um, my twin's obsessed with it. So he talks a lot about like Pink Floyd with the Floydian depression. And I highly recommend looking into it within itself because okay. um, apparently the music caused depression in people because it's so sad. 
Damn. Yeah, that's definitely uh, worth looking into. I don't know if we'll make that into a full episode in the future, but it might be like worth in an update or something, you know, because we still need to talk about Hellier at some point, probably. I'm still undecided about that. Hellyard. Hellier, remember from the first episode? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. yeah. So I don't know if we're going to do an update on that because we're still trying to figure out our segments and stuff like that. Yeah. But updating like with, you know, what would you call it? Uh, Floydian depression or whatever? Yes, Floydian depression. Okay, yeah, and like stuff like that. I think, you know, looking into that might be worth, you know, updates in the future. But uh, I don't think we'll actually dive and make complete episodes on that, you know, because it's just not a lot of information on, on some of those subjects. So It's I mean, a good topic to look into, though, especially since I was also looking at and around the uh, movie that they did, the Pink Floyd movie. Okay. Oh, that's so cool. Like, yeah, no, I've heard about it. Uh, it was all. It was their last album. They do. It's a multimedia like <laughs> project. It was so cool. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, as well, I mean, that was our that was our uh, story. I don't know why I went Morty there, but um, yeah, you guys failed. You lost. I'm glad. I'm yeah. glad I failed. I was tired of winning. <laughs> Look, <laughs> no, no, no. it sounded so outlandish. Well, that, that, that's kind of the, the fun of it is like, I got to think of, I know you don't know the story, but I also don't want to make it obvious. Yeah. You know, because I, I noticed for a while, like I was going through a trend of the lie was always like the first thing I was saying. I was like, no, I got to stop doing that because it's pretty easy to figure that one out. Yeah. Um, which is why you were starting to win. So I, I want to mix it up. You know, that's also a reason why I don't want people to know the story. You know, because then, of course, I'm going to fucking know the answer right away. Yeah. So. But no, no, that was, that was fun. That was good. Yeah. You, you got me there. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm half debating setting up like a tally score for everyone that comes on and plays. <laughs> I think that'd be fun. I will lose every time. <laughs> you know, that's what Vlad said whenever we, I first suggested it to him. But uh, he, he's one of you. So it's not impossible. But. Uh, you never know. That's true. Yeah. But anyways, as always, you know, we've had a great time recording today. I'm so glad you're able to join us this time. So I'm glad to be on it. I was, I was like excited. I'm like, I cannot wait to join because I'm always happy to talk about sort of the darker side of things. Absolutely. And there, there's all kinds of stories, not necessarily darker ones. Uh, I know next week we're going to talk about SETI and the, you know, just the human's pursuit for extraterrestrial life and intelligence that's gonna be fun that's gonna be real fun you know we're gonna talk a bit about carl sagan we're gonna talk a bit about astronomy i'm gonna go back into my 10 year old self and really enjoy the stars again looking into this yeah we're gonna have fun that sounds fun that sounds fun well you know we hope to see you on the on next week's episode you know yeah definitely i want to be on it oh yeah as always, you know, like like I've told the audience, you know, we're we're developing, you know, a small small cast of friends who who's going to come on periodically, and I know you've expressed a lot of interest, you know, so I, I hope you can come on and join in more episodes. You know, it really helps to drive conversation when we have more people on. You know, I, I I'll be more than happy to. Involved. Yeah, absolutely. So as always, uh, we're going to link it down in the description too. But uh, I know you wanted to uh, link your Instagram. We can go ahead and find you at cursive creator on instagram and like i said we're gonna link that down if there's anything else you want to plug by any chance now is the time um just my instagram i'm i mean i am active on discord so uh should i should i give my discord tag if you want 
Yeah, why not? I, I always love trying to talk to new people. So it is Cursed Creator, which is a space between them. It's I use that on basically everything, practically. Um, mm-hmm. 4708, if people want to add me and talk to me. All right. Yeah. And, you know, you've always been great conversation with me whenever I've talked about some of these topics, you know. And, of course, you know, we're going to see more of you, hopefully. Um, and possibly... And I am not going to I'm not going to say it's a guarantee, but possibly in a new podcast that we have in the future, there, there's talks about, you know, spreading out and uh, making new content, you know, but we aren't sure yet. It's kind of up in the air. So we will see what the future holds for us. But that's all I'm to be there wherever you go. Uh, I well, we'll let you know, you know, we're you know, you start getting more involved, you know, we're going to start having you on more full time, yeah. um, which is going to make it easier to schedule things. Because uh, right now, uh, there's still two other people, Nathan being one of them, which we've heard in a previous episode, and uh, a friend of mine named Drake, who I originally did a podcast with in the past, but I kind of fell through. Uh, it was just kind of hard to keep it up, at, um, and he lost interest. But he has expressed interest in joining as well. Awesome. So, you know, we're hoping to see how that works in the future with other stories and all that. But, you know, you... you uh, I think you'd be a good fit for us. I think you'd be a good fit following with the show, you know, and helping out. Always good to have a nerd person on. Of course. All, you know, so. so. Even if times those make things a bit funny. Yeah. I mean, it helps. It helps to have, you know, a variety of personalities, you know. But that is all the time that we have today. We're going to go ahead and go, and we cannot wait to see you guys next week when we talk about SETI and the pursuit of finding aliens. All right. All right. Yeah.